0: So so today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 10 as we are going through the Proverbs and chapter 10 begins with the Proverbs of Solomon, a heading that we have not received previously uh, in the last few chapters, but it's beginning a new section in the book, a new series where uh, yeah, we got it in the first chapter one, Proverbs of Solomon, King of David, I thought that was in there too. Uh, but these are just a list of sayings, and as you read through them, you'll, you'll catch different themes that keep coming up and hitting. And so uh, a, a regular theme in chapter 10 is about the words that we say, and what we, what we speak, and what kind of a mouth we have, and what kind of a tongue we have. Is it wicked? Is it pure? Is it righteous? Uh, another theme that you see, though, is God's provision. And, and these two themes are highlighted in the section that we're looking at, chapters, or verses 19 through 32. Uh, we're looking at how we speak and what kind of words we have and what kind of people we listen to. You know, what kind of people should we listen to based on the words that they speak? But also the hope we have and the security we can have in the provision of God. And and the way this section does it, I'll I'll go ahead and give you a little heads up here, is it uses what's called a chiastic structure, which is uh, throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. It is the way that the writers of Jesus' time in the biblical times, the Old Testament times, would give focus to, to certain elements. So just as a student is taught in school today, put your first point on top and then give your supporting points... What they would do is they would put a big point right in the middle, or sometimes they would make their big point on the two ends, and that would be called an inclusio, where everything inside is included in this. But the chiastic structure is you you get a point at the very beginning, and that point comes back at the end. And, And then you'll have a main point in the middle that doesn't have a duplicate sometimes. And you can have just as many points as possible. So it ends up being these two points, and these two points, and these two points, and this point. And that's where the chiastic comes from, is the, the X in Greek is is chi. So that's where we, we get that language from. And so that's that's the structure that begins in chapter 10, verse 19. So that's why even though there were earlier statements throughout this chapter about the tongue, that's why we're focusing here on this portion. And we're going to go ahead and walk our way through it. I thought about maybe just pulling the first and the last verses out. No, that didn't quite work. We're going to walk our way through it and come back out of it together, okay? Uh, but we're looking at the the sure way of how to live. How we speak. who we Who we rely upon. What is the sure way in life? So let's go ahead and begin this together in verse 19. Solomon tells us, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Now, this is a verse I hated as a kid because I'm a talker, you know. Now, Amy will claim I'm not after a Sunday because I'm not very talkative Sunday night. But I'm a talker. And as a kid, I was a talker. And so this idea, where, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. It, it doesn't matter how wise you are. It doesn't matter how good what you have to say is. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. You can end up opening mouth, inserting foot very easily. You can say things that are wrong. You can say things that you didn't mean to be hurtful that come across as hurtful. The transgression can be in many ways. It may be in the words you say. It, it may be in the way you say it. It may simply be in the fact that you spoke at all. I, I, I have that problem sometimes. I get, I get an idea and I really have to get it out. And it really didn't need to be said. And so the transgression isn't that anything I said was wrong or hurtful to anybody. It was just okay, thanks a lot, David, now we'll move on, you know, and it's, ah, I should have just kept my mouth shut. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But notice it's not wise people keep silent, no, he who restrains his lips is wise. And it's not just he who isn't very talkative, it isn't just the reticent man, no, the one who restrains their lips. The person who recognizes I don't need to say everything that enters into my mind. I don't need to always speak up. The person who can hold back and think about what really needs to be said here. Does anything need to be said here? And does it really need to be said by me, even? The person who can learn to restrain their lips and then who actually does it. You know? I, mean, I Again, there are so many times I need to Oh, I should not say anything, but it, it, it's like I'm going to go crazy if I don't open up my mouth. Well, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. If we don't always say whatever we're thinking, if we don't always blurt it out, if we don't always feel like we have to have an answer, if we learn how to restrain all of those impulses, that is wise. And, and this first verse, we're actually going to get several like this that don't have a, a playoff with themselves. This introducing this idea, this theme of what we say and whose words we should listen to. So when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. I think this is why James said we should not, too many of us, become teachers because the teachers are always speaking. And where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. You can't help but say something wrong and need to apologize or step back from it. He tells us after telling us that the one who restrains their lips is wise, he says in verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. It is. And again, if you're wise and and restrain your lips, you don't say too much, what you do say is going to be valuable. If you withhold all the crazy ideas and all the, the flippant ideas and you think about what you're going to say and then you have wisdom in choosing that, the tongue of the righteous is this choice, silver. It's, it's what you want to listen to. When that person speaks, you, th- you want to listen because they don't say a whole lot. And also because they're righteous. What they have to say is good. So the choice silver is on those two fronts there. But in contrast to the tongue of the righteous, the heart of the wicked is worth little. And remember, what did Jesus tell us? That out of the heart flows. Out of the mouth, excuse me, out of the tongue flows the wickedness, the, 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 whatever is in your heart. So if, if the tongue of the righteous is this choice silver, that tells us their heart is righteous. But the heart of the wicked is worth little comparing to the tongue of the righteous, which is so valuable. And that also tells us what the wicked has to say is worth little. So there's the contrast. And then in verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. The inverse of this is that if the lips of the righteous feed many, what are the... What do the lips of the wicked feed? Very little. And fools die for lack of understanding. It doesn't matter that the righteous is speaking words of life that can feed many. The fool who does not accept it or listen to it, they die for lack of understanding. They they perish because they don't hear the truth. And as we look at this this talk about uh, the lips of the righteous, feeding many the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, uh, we can look at that and, and consider it as being us. You know, who are righteous people around us that I should listen to that can nourish me? But beyond that, who is truly righteous? There is no one as righteous as Jesus Christ. And, and He is the Word of God. He is the, 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 the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. And in Jesus, we have uh, true words and, and true life. In fact, the idea of you know, feeds, um, feeds many. The lips of the righteous feed many. Uh, Jesus feeds and nourishes us. His wisdom in the words he spoke that, that we can grow from, but also in who he is, that his death on the cross gives us life. And in that way, his, as the word, he feeds us. But remember, in comparison, the heart of the wicked is worth little. Well, Jesus Christ came to die on the cross because we're wicked. Our hearts down deep are corrupt. God looks down among the sons of men and he sees none that are good, none who seek him. They all have gone their own way. The heart is is. Corrupt above all other things. And so the heart of the wicked that is worth little, that's you know, that's really our heart. And you think about all the things that we're told. You know, follow your heart. Listen to your heart. Trust your heart. No. No, if anything, we should be saying, don't listen to your heart. Don't trust your heart. Watch out for what your heart will tell you because your heart will deceive you. But we listen to God's Word. If we listen to Jesus... He has words. His statements are as choice silver. He will nourish and feed us. The the Word of God is vastly greater than the understanding of our hearts. The the way to live, the sure way, is to listen to what Jesus tells us, to, to study Scripture and to listen to what God tells us. To, to know his way instead of trusting ourselves or living as a fool going on their own understanding, instead of trusting in his understanding. His word is vastly greater than the understanding of our hearts. We should not hold our hearts up as a standard to listen to because we are tossed in the wind. We go one way than the other. We're like uh, people on the waves. We need, we need to stay close to Him and sure on Him. And so, as we look at, at the words that we listen to, the righteous words, there are no better words than God's and His righteousness. In fact, he, he tells us in verse 22, He does another thing like the verse 19 where there are many words. In verse 22 He says, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. He adds no sorrow to it. Now, you can get rich in a lot of ways. You can get rich outside of God's blessing, but it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, that makes you truly rich. And not just monetarily, but we can be spiritually, it can be emotionally. But it's that second part. And he adds no sorrow to it. You know, rich people that have no sorrow? that have no worries, that aren't still struggling for things. I I remember hearing about a story, I think it was the author of Catch-22. Somebody else was going on about how much more money they had than this author had made in his life. And the comment was made to him, and he said, yeah, but I've got something he'll never have. And the person said, what's that? He said, enough. I don't need to make more money. He might have five times the amount of money I have, but I have something he'll never have. Enough. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. And and part of this is a focus on, and what we're going to get into is is trusting in God's provision. I had had a, a, a friend of mine call me years ago. He had a great opportunity that was really tempting to him. The problem was is that to accept the opportunity would go against a personal conviction of him of his own, not not a scriptural conviction. Although you could, you know, he had support in scripture. It wasn't something that he would hold anybody else to. It was just a, something that, after the the years and the struggles that he had gone through in life, it was a personal conviction. And to accept this option, which would be really great for anybody else would mean going against this conviction of his. And so he was wrestling with that with me, and should I accept this? This is such a good opportunity, but I would be going against this conviction that I've had, is, but it's not a sin thing necessarily. Is that okay? And, and what, what he finally came down to was this verse. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. And he thought, you know what? If I take this option that goes against my conviction there's a chance, even though it might make me rich, there'll be sorrow added to it. But if I wait in the Lord, if I keep going the way that I feel He has spoken to me, He'll make me rich in His time. And there won't be any sorrow with it. And so that helped him decide, which way do I need to go? You know, we we often want to jump ahead of what the Lord wants for us. We want to jump ahead to what we want. And then we get sorrow. Sorrow. We, we go too early. We, we take a job that maybe wasn't the right one. We buy this thing because we want it and we think it's going to make us happy. And then we get sorrow out of that. And it adds sorrow to our life. But if we're patient and we wait upon the Lord, if we seek for what He is doing in our lives, the blessing of the Lord is what makes rich. And again... Yes, it's talking about money in the context, but that does not mean that's how it plays out in our lives. The real focus, I think, for us should be, he adds no sorrow to it. That when we're doing what God wants us to do, even if we are experiencing hardship, there is not sorrow in it. There will be joy. Because we're trusting him and we're walking with him and we're following him. In, in looking at this idea of the blessing of the Lord making rich, in verse 23, uh, we're told doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. And and that word sport is the idea of, of enjoyment, uh, laughter, it, it, to mock even at times. You know, you make sport of somebody. It's uh, Doing wickedness, wickedness is like sport. It's fun. It's joyful. But you know what? So is wisdom to a man of understanding. And you have all those those uh, wicked people who are enjoying their wickedness, the fool that is enjoying the wickedness that he's living in, and, and the whole attitude is, is this isn't going to catch up to us, and you're the foolish person for not keeping up. But no, the, the, the man of understanding, his joy comes from being wise, for, from doing things that are of wisdom. And then in verse uh, 24 we're told, what the wicked fears will come upon him but the desire of the righteous will be granted. So, so the wicked person, the the one, the fool that's going and doing the wickedness and is finding such great sport in it, oh, it's so much fun. It's such a joy. But eventually what they fear will come upon them. That thing that they're trying to avoid, that thing that they're trying to, to, to keep away from, to, to always run just a little bit ahead of, it's going to come upon them. What the wicked fears will come upon them, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. That thing that the righteous person desires in their life, and and a righteous person cannot desire an unrighteous thing, otherwise that is no longer righteous. So what we're talking here isn't a name it and claim it whatever you want, it will be granted, no. But the desire of the righteous, the righteous person who desires God's righteous things, and desires to honor and serve God in their life, their desire, will be granted. And then finally in verse 25, when the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more. But the righteous has an everlasting foundation. What we're, what we're seeing in this progression of three verses, remembering that the, the, the blessing of the Lord is what makes rich and He has no sorrow to it. Well, the wicked and the foolish are just doing sport in their wickedness. What they fear is going to catch up to them. And here, the whirlwind, when it passes, the wicked is no more. They they do not last. They will be taken down. They will be brought low. But the righteous person, the one to whom wisdom is sport, the one to whom um, their desires will be granted, when the whirlwind passes... The righteous is still there because they have an everlasting foundation. This is very similar to Jesus talking about in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the one who builds his house on the sand versus the one who builds his house on the rock. That the one who builds his house on the sand, that's the person who doesn't listen to Jesus' teaching, doesn't follow and obey him, doesn't do what he wants him to do. He's, He's just doing his own thing. He's going to be wicked, and when storms come, he's going to be destroyed. But the wise person is the one who listens to Jesus' teaching, who obeys His teaching and applies it to his life. That person is the one who builds on the rock. And when the storms come and the floods rise, they stand secure because of their foundation. The righteous has an everlasting foundation. So as we seek what we are going to have in life, and as we talk about the fact that it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, He adds no sorrow to it. As you go through your struggles, as you seek to be wise, as you uh, wait for the Lord to grant those things that you desire, in the end, your foundation is eternal. Another way of looking at that or saying is that trusting in God's provision brings peace. Trusting in God's provision that He is the one that makes rich, not us in our own time, and He adds no sorrow to it, that there will be peace when you are blessed by Him. I think of families fighting and squabbling over inheritances. Just the things that just break your heart. But the blessing of the Lord makes rich and He adds no sorrow to it. And as we go through life, as we face those struggles, the wicked, it's like sport to them to be wicked. But if we hold back, if we are wise and follow Him, if we trust in Him in His Word that is greater than our hearts, if we trust in His provision, not our own understanding. It brings peace into our lives as well. The, the middle point of this chiasm is an interesting verse. Verse 26 is, is to a certain extent, the, the, the crux. Like vinegar to the teeth. And smoke to the eyes. So is the lazy one to those who send him. And at first glance, this verse seems to have nothing to do <laughs> with the, you know, the, the focus of provision behind and the focus of provision that comes uh, after or before and after. Why are we talking about how the lazy one, if you, if, if you send a lazy one to pe- to, to, to a, on an errand, that is like vinegar to your teeth? And smoke to your eyes. It's a nuisance. It's a bother. It's, it's painful. It causes you grief and sorrow. As I, as I thought about it and wrestled with why is this here? Why is the structure pointing to it? Uh, what we say, you know, righteous words versus wicked words, and righteous words versus wicked words, and God's provision versus our own and, and wickedness. And, and and right after this verse, we're going to see more of that idea of the provision of God. Why are we talking about sending a lazy person on an errand? Why is he saying, like vinegar to the teeth, and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him? And, and this is where I think it's going. It's not necessarily trying to encourage us, although you can always use the Proverbs in this way, don't send a lazy person on an errand, it's just going to cause you grief. You know, it, it, in work, what do you always want to do? Find somebody who's already busy and give them a job, right? Because they're already busy, you give them something more to do, they're going to get it done because they've already got so much to do. But if you got somebody who's just not doing stuff, you give them the job, it's probably never going to get done. So if you need to get something done fast, give it to somebody who's already busy. The idea here, though, is really, what kind of a person are you relying upon? Be careful of who you rely upon in life. Uh, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, these irritants, they, they won't kill you, but they're unpleasant. And th- that's the way a lazy person is. A lazy one is... A, a, um, it's that S word I'm, I'm missing out. Huh? Sluggard, yes, thank you, thank you. I was like, where is that word? It's a sluggard. They are like the smoke, they are like the vinegar to the one who sends them. And and the idea within context is, be careful who you trust. And and I think what it's really doing is pointing us back to God, because it's awkward that this would be the primary point that we're looking at. And I think the reason why it is is it's kind of a negative pointing to the positive. Be careful who you trust in your life. Be careful who you rely upon. Don't rely upon the wicked who are doing sport. Don't don't rely upon foolish people. Don't rely upon the, uh, the words, the ones who speak with wickedness. Instead, rely upon God. Rely upon the one who is not lazy, the one who is always working, who never rests other than the seventh day when he rested from all his labors. But he was still God. He was still in charge. He was still working. We call it the seventh day of creation. It was part of the creating process, even. Rely upon him, not these other ones. And from that, Solomon continues this focus on provision. He says in verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Now, this doesn't mean that all people who fear God will live to a ripe old age, and if you died young, then obviously you were wicked. Uh, we have the, the language, you know, only the good die young. We, we think of things happening in the opposite direction, right? What it is talking about, though, is the idea of God's blessing. And just as riches were viewed as a blessing from God in the Old Testament, so is a long life. If a man lived a long and good life, or a long life, we have a way of assuming it was a good life because they lived so long. And that's the idea. It's not necessarily a guaranteed. If you're righteous, you're always going to outlive everybody. Because there were several righteous people who died young. But the idea is that the fear of the Lord prolongs life. That to to, to walk in the fear of the Lord blesses you with life. But the contrast is that the years of the wicked will be shortened. And and even if the wicked live a hundred years, that's short in reality. That is a short amount of time when we're looking at what God has to offer the righteous the fear of the lord prolongs life it's a blessing but wickedness wickedness results in a curse he says in verse 28 the hope of the righteous so we had the fear of the lord prolongs life the hope of the righteous is gladness is the idea that it it, it will it ex- it will come in joy. It will result in gladness for you. The hope, that thing that you're desiring to have happen, that you have not yet seen, it is gladness. But contrast that with the, the expectation of the wicked perishes. That thing which they hope for, that thing which they expect to happen, it perishes. It's, it doesn't show up. It's destroyed. So we've had the, their years shortened. Now we've had their expectation Perishes, And then in verse 29, the way of the Lord, which could be understood as a, a repeat of the idea of the fear of the Lord. If you w- walk in the fear of the Lord, you're going to walk in the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. I think it goes beyond just walking in God's ways. When you think about the world and how everything runs, we, we sometimes forget, because the world has been plunged into sin by the fall of man, we sometimes forget that the world still operates according to God's glory and righteousness. And even though the world's systems may operate through wickedness and the world's systems operate through sin, God's way, the way of the Lord, still holds supremely over all of them. And so the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright. It is a fortress that the upright can be uh, secure in. But the way of the Lord will be ruined to the workers of iniquity. Those who go against God's ways, who live against His ways, whole nations do it, whole families do it, whole civilizations do it. It will be ruined. Because His way is still supreme. His way is still true. His way is still right. Though everyone around us lives a lie, and it seems at times that if you don't join in with the lie, you're going to be ruined. He says, no, that's a stronghold. Walk in His ways, to hold to His truth, to live in His way. That is a stronghold to the upright, but it will also be the ruin of those around you. You may not see it today. You might not see it in your life. But the day is coming. The day is coming. And it will be ruined to the workers of iniquity. He says in verse 30, The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. Again, this is the idea of the stronghold. This is the idea of the foundation, the eternal foundation. The righteous will never be shaken. Now, we obviously experience some shaking here and there, don't we? But the idea is eternally, no, you'll stay. You will dwell in the land, but the wicked will not. The promise that God had for his people, the wicked will not experience it fully. They will not keep it. It will be gone, is what he was talking about to them at the time. And again, as we talk about the the fear of the Lord and the way of the Lord, I can't help but think that we're really talking about Jesus. Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who we we follow, that we believe in. To to have fear of the Lord, how do you have fear of the Lord without believing in the one in whom He has sent? How do you obey Him without believing in the one in whom He has sent? How do you walk securely? How do you have that uh, stronghold around you and that that foundation where you will not be shaken unless you believe in Jesus Christ? And ultimately, as, as New Testament believers, obviously in, in Solomon's time, they didn't have Jesus. They had the hope of the Messiah, but he was not there yet. The way to walk was to obey the commandments and to obey the law and to... to, to Serve the Lord. And it's still true today. The way to life is to believe in the Lord, to follow His commandments, and the foremost of it is to believe in Jesus. And the way of the Lord today, the way of the Lord is to believe in Jesus. The way to have the provision that He promises us, the the stronghold that secures us, is to believe in Jesus. That is the sure way to live. And, and, and that's why in verse 26 is the lazy one to those who sin Him, that's focusing on God because right before it we were looking at God's provision for us and the, the, uh, the desire of the righteous will be granted and the righteous has an everlasting foundation. And here we see the same idea. The way of the Lord is a stronghold, the righteous will not be shaken. And it's all pointing to our, need to follow and trust in God over the wickedness, over the foolish, over the lazy, over us, humanity. And finally, in verses 31 and 32, we go back to the mouth. Verse 31 says, the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom. The idea of just a river flowing out. Constant water coming. Continuing Never stopping. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. There is an end to the perverted tongue. There is a punishment. It will be cut out. It will not last. And then finally in 32, the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked. What is perverted? We're we're looking at, at what we say. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, what God is pleased in hearing. But the mouth of the wicked, they just say perverted things. They say things that are twisted and unacceptable. As a a conclusion to uh, this passage, 19-32, through what what is reminding us with the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom. It continues. It's acceptable to what God wants to hear, whereas the, the wicked, they're gonna, their tongue will be cut out. They just speak what is perverted. You notice the, the mouth of the wicked speaks what is perverted, and the perverted tongue will be cut out. It's almost backwards the way it goes. The focus throughout has been who do we listen to? Who do we trust? Are, are we trusting the words of the righteous person or are we trusting the wicked? Are we listening to the wicked words that can't? feed us that we will die for lack of understanding. Who do we trust in? Who do we look to for our provision? Are we looking to God for provision or are we looking to ourselves, our own wickedness, our own abilities? What is our hope? The promise in this passage is that those who trust in the Lord will endure. That just as the, the mouth of the righteous uh, Flows with wisdom. Just keeps coming. Just as the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Just as the righteous will never be shaken, that the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright. What we see is that those who trust in the Lord will endure. The... the the teaching that Solomon is giving us and, and hoping us to choose us, is as the world is all around us and going against the wisdom of God and try, choosing its own way, how are we going to live? Are we going to go the way of the world and the way of our neighbors and the way of our own hearts sometimes that, that we think, oh, I should just do this, I should just do that? Or are we going to follow the sure way? The everlasting way. The way that endures. Are we going to follow the way of Jesus Christ? He is the righteous one, not us. His words feed thousands, not ours. He is the one who blesses and adds no sorrow to it. He takes away the sorrows that we have. Those who trust in the Lord will endure. If you trust in the Lord, you will endure. As Jesus said often in the book of Revelation, to the one who overcomes, to the one who overcomes, there is an understanding that we will have to overcome, that we will have to endure. You, you don't endure without hardship. Nobody said, Oh, I endured sitting on my couch for six hours yesterday watching TV. That, that's not really endurance. But I worked outside in the yard for six hours in the heat and the sun beating down. That's endurance. Those who trust in the Lord will endure. They will live through the difficulties, they will live through the trials. They will have that foundation that lasts. That is the sure way. I pray it's the way we are walking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have sent us Your Son, that Jesus not only died on the cross and rose again, but He taught, He spoke, He showed us how to live. Lord, we pray that we would follow in His steps, that we would walk in Your ways. Lord, that our foundation would be You. Our hope and our trust would be in You. And Lord, that we wouldn't look to our own abilities to, to bless us, but that we would rely upon You. Your timing. Your wisdom. That we would experience Your blessing. We pray, Lord, for anyone here today who is going through life on their own. Who is basing their decisions on their heart, their whims, their desires, their appetites. We pray, Lord, that we would hear the the words that You have spoken to us and we would see our need for Jesus to walk in ways of righteousness, to listen to the words of the righteous one. And We pray, Lord, that through Your Holy Spirit You would put it on their hearts to realize their need for a Savior and to respond to Him. We pray, Lord, for all of us here today that we would walk in your ways. Those things that we are worried about and that we are afraid of in life, that we struggle with, Lord, we lift them up to you and say, help us to trust in your time in your blessings. We ask these things today, Father, in Jesus' holy name, amen.